All right. Good morning. How are we doing? I got your attention, didn't I? I'm Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad you're here. Uh, we've been in this series about Christmas, surprisingly. Um, and uh, first, I want to remind you that we'll be here Christmas Eve at 4 o'clock. Uh, no, not 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock. All right. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been in a situation where you're meeting somebody you've never met? You're meeting somebody you've never met. Maybe it's at an airport. Maybe it's at Starbucks. Somebody you never met uh, has given you some clues about how to recognize them. Have you ever seen this? Nobody describes themselves the way that they should, you know? So, like, for me, I'm, like, 6'1 and stocky. Yeah. <laughs> Stocky's the word. That's what it is. And so it's always hard, and maybe they've described themselves. They tell you what they'll be wearing or perhaps what they look like or a distinguishing feature or maybe just what they'll be doing or who they'll be with or what they'll be carrying. Okay, the more clues they give, the more likely it is they don't want you to miss them or waste their time, right? Or they don't want you looking for somebody else. I wonder how many clues it would take to identify 90% of people. Have you ever thought about that? Probably four, maybe five. Tall, white, brown hair, red shirt, carrying a squealing pig. That would do it, right? You'd be able to narrow that down with just like three or four things. Police put out what they call a bolo, a be on the lookout. And then they describe the person, white male, 30, small build, green shirt, Christmas sweater, just five or six things that just tell you that's who they are. But suppose the fugitive was like really dangerous and they really, really wanted to make sure that everybody had all the clues. They may give you 20 clues to look for. Tattoo over the left eye, walks with a limp, often visits cigar bars, drinks fresca, I mean, all kinds of things. That's what we've been talking about this Christmas. Not drinking fresca so much. Looking for the one that matches all the cues. Looking for the one that was described hundreds of years before based on some clues. We've been looking at Christmas through the eyes of Isaiah, the prophet. The year is around 700 B.C. God has given the prophets and the psalmists 350 clues, prophecies about the Messiah. 350 things Isaiah wrote about the Messiah. That's an incredible number when you think about it. God clearly wanted to make sure that no one missed him when he came to us. Now, maybe you missed the first 10. Okay, maybe you missed the first 100 clues. There's still 250 left. 350, that's an incredible number when you think about it. God clearly wanted to make sure that nobody missed the Messiah. The Messiah was coming, and Isaiah was writing down clues, and Ezekiel, and Daniel, and God gave them all kinds of clues. They didn't even know what they were writing when they wrote it, but they wrote it down faithfully. And you could miss the first 10, maybe the first 100, but there's still 250 clues. Eventually, you can't miss the Messiah, right? And they weren't wimpy clues. It wasn't like God said, okay, he's going to have 10 toes and 10 fingers and two eyes and two ears. That's not what they were. He didn't say, oh, he's going to walk upright. He's going to breathe air and sneeze once in a while. No, what he said was these are real clues he gave, man-sized clues. Like he'll be born of a virgin woman. That alone should be enough. Just think about that for a minute. He'll be born in Bethlehem. He'll come out of Egypt but he'll be from Galilee. Those are just a few. 
Listen while I read the other 345. Just kidding. We're not doing that. You can if you want, but you have to wonder, right? I mean, how could they have missed him? He had 350 prophecies spoken about him, and he fulfilled almost every one of them. There's still some to come, but not one has been wrong yet. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus checked off over 300 prophecies in 33 years. His entry into the world may have been understated a bit, but he was shouted Messiah through the prophets. Honestly, you wonder how they could have missed something so obvious. I mean, how could anybody living in the first century, after all the prophets, all the information, how could they ever, ever miss the Messiah? And I think they would turn to us and they would say, look, you have everything we have. You've got a completed set of scriptures, 2,000 years of study, 2,000 years of human experience with the Holy Spirit. And oh, by the way, you have the Holy Spirit. We didn't. Plus, most of the end time events, we didn't really understand how they could happen. You actually do. How could you possibly miss him today? I think they would ask. So God leads Isaiah to share with us four names. Four names that will tell us who the Messiah is. Four names that won't fit any other human that lives on the earth. In other words, Isaiah says, look, I'm going to tell you four things. I'm going to paint a picture with just four names. And when you find the person that truly matches all four of these names, you found the Messiah. Now, remember that names were huge in the Bible. Pictures worth a thousand words, right? But in Scripture, a name paints a thousand words. Names describe someone's character, describe their personality. Isaac means laughter because he laughed. He brought laughter to Abraham and Sarah. Isaiah, whose writings we're studying, means God is my salvation because his prophecies point us home. Peter means rock because his faith is the bedrock of our foundation. Jesus means Jehovah saves. There's over 100 names given to Jesus in Scripture. Each describe part of his character, but Isaiah chooses four names. And remember, he's describing a child who won't be born for the next 800 years. So what he's doing is he's writing out in the future, there's going to be somebody who comes. For us, it would be like, well, somewhere around 2820, there's going to be a baby born. He'll be one in several million, but here's how you're going to know who he is. Isaiah says, find this child, and you found the Messiah. Think about that for a moment. No other human can be called these four names with truth and authority. So under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the prophet Isaiah begins to write, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His name shall be called, future tense. This child will be born and people will start talking about him. They'll see how he lives and they'll attribute names to him. Notice that Isaiah does not say this is the name he'll call himself. Or this is his family name. Or this is the name his parents will give him. This, Isaiah says, he will be called. People will look at him and attribute this name to him based on what they see in him. 
find people speaking of someone with these four names, and you got the Messiah, Isaiah says. First, he says, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. You'll hear people talk about this man who's a counselor, and through his counsel, he fills people with wonder. His counsel will cause people just to stand back in amazement. What's the most incredible thing you've ever seen? Think about that just for a minute. The most incredible thing you've ever seen in your life. Think back to a time when you just stood in awe, where you watched something and just said, how can this be? This is too big for me. You see something happening that you clearly don't understand. It's too incredible for you to wrap your mind around. You're watching and it's real, but it's almost like it's just too hard to really embrace. Have you ever had those moments? Maybe it's the birth of your child. Maybe a healing that seemed impossible or a coincidence that seemed so much more than that. There are moments in life that are just too wonderful for us. Certainly the Christmas story is full of these miracles and wonders. The Immaculate Conception, a virgin birth, announcement by angels, a chorus of angels, signs in the heavens, the creator now in creation. Absolutely incredible night. And, and it just happened just like the prophet said it would. But Isaiah tells us to fast forward to Jesus' adult life on earth. Here's what people would say about him. This man would be called Wonderful Counselor. Not so much focused on what he would do or where he would go, but rather what he would say or how he would say it or how people would respond to what he said. There were a lot of people giving counsel, even wise counsel. But Isaiah says this man, when he teaches, when he speaks, will make people stand back in stunned wonder like no other teachers ever taught. He'll be a counselor. When we hear the word counselor, we think of one who gives advice or counsel. Person who brings us advice, teaches us what we don't know, shows us the way we should go. There are many, many smart people on earth, even teachers, even counselors. But the Messiah will be known as the counselor who brings wonder. When our world falls apart and we don't know or understand what's happening, we want a counselor that's always available to us, one who gives undivided attention because he cares, is able to provide comfort while remaining confidential, and tells us the truth about ourselves while giving us what we need to make changes. Someone has said, when life caves in, you don't need reasons, you need comfort. You don't need answers, you need someone. And Jesus does not come to us with an explanation. He comes to us with his presence. The most powerful thing in the difficult times of our lives is Emmanuel. God is with us and we know it. I can't tell you the number of times I've talked to people going through very difficult times and they'll tell me it's okay. Jesus has me in his arms. I can feel it. I know it. Whenever we see something of God, angels, miracles, truths revealed, our response is always wonder. How can this be? How can this be? When scriptures refer to Jesus as wonderful counselor, it doesn't mean he's good at giving, just good at giving advice, although he is. It tells us that when he speaks, we see the wisdom of God. 
our response to his teaching is to be filled with wonder because we realize that we're in the presence of God. He exceeds that which humans can possibly know. It means he understands things that are beyond the ability of our finite minds to comprehend. He knows things that only God can know. He knows the ways of God. He understands God's plan and purpose. His knowledge, his intelligence, his wisdom, his insight far exceeds that of any man who ever lived. Isaiah 11.2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So in Jesus Christ, we have someone who by virtue of his great knowledge and understanding is abundantly qualified to guide and direct our lives. Someone who's never confused, never mistaken. Someone who always knows exactly what to do and someone who will never, ever lead us astray. How does he counsel us? Well, he counsels us through prayer. Philippians 4, 6 teaches us that if we will pray... He'll guard our hearts and, his mind, and our mind and bring us supernatural peace and remove our worries. He fills us with wonder in the midst of horrible circumstances. The other way that he counsels us is through his spirit. John 14, 26 tells us that the spirit is the counselor sent in Jesus' name to teach us all things. God counsels us through his word. 2 Timothy tells us that Scripture is useful counsel, teaching, correcting, and training. And finally, God teaches us through his servants, through you and me and each other. That's why we have to be here together, because he begins to help us. We're encouraged to unite together in love. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Literally means wonder of a counselor. The adjective wonderful refers to someone that's beyond the bounds of human power and could be translated as astonishing or amazing or extraordinary. He'll cause us to look at him with amazement, to be surprised and at the same time awestruck, to be marveling. Everything about him will cause us to challenge what we thought we knew. He'll say in one sentence more than we could ever figure out in a lifetime. His two-paragraph parables are so deep that scholars have been studying it for 2,000 years and still haven't got anywhere near to the end of the explanation. The supernatural always brings a sense of wonder. Always. It makes us realize that we operate only in the natural. Wonder makes us ask, how could this be? How, how did this happen? How, how is this even possible? Why is this happening? Where did this come from? People around Jesus often muttered to each other, how could this be? Whenever he taught, whenever he walked, you'd hear him mumbling behind, how could this be? The interactions between Jesus and his people and Jesus and the Pharisees and Jesus and his disciples often left them scratching their heads trying to figure him out. That's what happens when humans are faced with supernatural intellect. We've become awestruck with wonder. We're, we're excited, but we're also scared. We're intrigued, but we're also afraid. We're drawn to understand, but often we're just confused. Every time Jesus opened his mouth, he challenged us to rethink what we thought was true. 
He opened our eyes to things we've not seen. There are too many scriptures to quote here, probably over a hundred, but let me give you a few. Matthew 15, 30. So the crowd wondered, and they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Matthew 8, 27. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Mark 1, 27. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even unclean spirits, and they obey him. Mark 2, 12. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed, and he went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Isaiah says, how are you going to recognize the Messiah? He's going to be full of wonder. Not just any counselor. People are going to wonder at his teachings. More specifically, everything about Jesus makes us wonder. Life is full of decisions and details and disasters. That's why we need a wonderful counselor. The mystery of his deity, he's God and man. The reality of his humanity, he's one of us, but he's God. The wisdom of his teaching, the wonders of his works, the challenge of his teaching, the puzzle of his conduct, the intensity of his walk, the tenderness of his love, the meaning of his death, the power of his resurrection, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the peace of his relationship with us, his return and eternal promises, they're all full of wonder. How can it be? When this man comes, he reveals to us wonderful things about the past and the present and the future. Jesus is full of wonder in our past. Think about Jesus, the eternal one. He's literally seen it all. Even before there were things to see. Think about Jesus, what he's seen in the past, looking back how wonderful as he's looking back over time. In my job, I often get to meet people who are over 100 years old. I'm amazed at what they've seen in their lifetime. I love talking to them. Huge advances in the automobile. Just the fact that there is an automobile. Air travel, radio, television. Color television, space travel, telephones, cellular phones, internet, computers, personal computers, laptops, smartphones. They've seen so much. Think about the world events that they've seen. Lindbergh's flight, World War II, organ transplants, antibiotics, nuclear war, Pearl Harbor, polio, the Holocaust, the treatment of TB, the automobile, the moonwalk, pet rocks, Space shuttle, 9-11, the AIDS epidemic, the bottling and selling of water, the most ubiquitous thing on the earth we now bottle and sell to one another, COVID-19. Think about all they've seen in their lives. It's incredible, right? Think of all the stories they can tell us of what's happened just in the last hundred years. But then you turn to Jesus. He could tell a story of the time when the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the earth. 
And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were there creating. And we would listen with wonder as he reveals the details of the creation of every animal, every mountain, every ocean, every insect. And then Jesus would tell of the day he created you and me. He could tell about the time when the earth was a mystery and he could tell you about the history of the universe, everything about the stars, planet, sun, and moon. He could explain every constellation and every mystery scientists have tried to explain haven't even thought of yet. We listen with wonder. He could tell us of the experience of the eternal of ages who sat on the throne in heaven hair as white as wool and white as snow, who became a human infant, totally dependent on his creation for survival, and we just sit back and listen with wonder. He could tell us how the Son of God was born of the Virgin Mary and became an infant, eternal and yet born of a woman, almighty dependent on his mother's breast and yet still supporting the universe, heir of all things and yet a poor carpenter's son, and we just listen with wonder. He could tell us of how God manifested in the flesh and yet crucified by men. How the one true king was covered in purple and mocked by those who were actually looking for a king. We'd listen with wonder. He could tell us what it was like to walk out of that tomb. To know that the world would never be the same again and that he had forever changed mankind. And we would just sit back and wonder. The brightest and smartest people in the world have wondered at him. They become like little children at the foot of the cross. They stand amazed. No matter what amazing things we've seen, his experience eclipsed them all. When it comes to Christ, no one can say they ever saw a greater wonder than he. There's no mysteries equal to the wonder that is he. No surprise equal to this surprise. No astonishment, no ad. Admiration will ever equal the astonishment and admiration that we feel when we, enjoy, when we embrace Jesus' past. He surpasses everything. But he's also a wonder in our present. Is he personally wonderful to you today? Do you stand in awe when his word leaps off the page and speaks directly to your heart into your circumstances resonating in your spirit? Do you stand in wonder when your world seems to be falling apart and yet you have a peace you can't understand and you know it doesn't come from you? Do you marvel when God provides you exactly what you need, sometimes before you even knew you needed it? Do you stand in awe when you think of all the coincidences in your life and you see God's hand in each of them? Are you blown away when you think about the transformation that's happened in your life? What a different person you are now than you used to be, and you know you didn't do it. Stand back with the blessings that you see each day. Do you stand in wonder when you see the Spirit connect to you in prayer and you sense His presence and His comfort and His love? Are you stunned? when you realize that the trials in your life, no matter how hard, make you stronger and better than before, and when you look back over your life, you thank God that they happened to you. It's the wonder of Jesus in the present. 
But it doesn't stop there. He promises wonder in our future. The time will come when things that are made will disappear. The time will come when all we know will cease and everything will be new. Do you wonder about the day when the trumpet blows? Jesus returns when he completes what he promises and he brings everything into alignment. We stand in wonder when we realize that Jesus Christ will be fully revealed to every person who's ever lived. And they will bow and acknowledge that he is God. It's almost too much to comprehend when we think about how we'll stand by on the side on that day of judgment. We'll be free from the penalty of sin. Do you marvel when you think of your place alongside millions who will stand at the throne of Jesus in heaven and know that that's exactly where you belong? Can you see everyone gathering? Can you see them robed in white surrounding the throne? Do you hear them singing praises to Jesus, you see, that's the Jesus of wonder in our future. Jesus is a man full of wonder. That's what they said about him. When people would talk about him, you go, you know, that man, he's full of wonder. What a counselor. Of all the people who've ever been born, he's the one who to this day continues to reveal his wonder. Even those who missed him as Messiah call him the most influential and greatest teacher of all time. They try to convince us that he was just some kind of enlightened human. They can't get themselves to call him God. But they come as close as they can because they too see in him a teaching they've never seen before. A way of living that even shapes to this day our laws and our culture, our morals. But it's the wonder of Jesus that actually keeps them away from Jesus. Everyone recognizes it. There have been billions of people living on this planet, yet only one causes people to walk away. Only one causes heated arguments about religion. Only one name can divide families. Not Horatio from the 5th century. Not Gaiden from the 2nd century. Throughout the last 2,000 years, only one name raises up someone's ire. That name is Jesus Christ. And the reason is they see his wonder. Have you ever wondered, pun intended, why? Why Jesus? Why not Muhammad or Buddha or L. Ron Hubbard? What's different about Jesus? Why was this man so unique? Simple. It's wonder. No one other than Jesus has caused mankind to wonder. Jesus claimed to be God, and then he did what only God could do. He calmed the storm. He, he, he spoke, and demons left people. He spoke, and blind danced around in light, and he touched the lame, and he grabbed them, and they ran. He spoke into death and said, arise. And he died and then he walked into new life just like he'd taken a nap. He's full of wonder. John the Baptist and his disciples saw Jesus and they were full of wonder. John's in prison. He's going to get killed. He knows it. 
He's going to be executed. He sent his disciples, one of which was Andrew, who would later be one of Jesus' disciples, and another disciple who would become Jesus' disciple. We don't know which one. And they basically asked Jesus, are you the one? And implied, why haven't you saved him? In other words, John's in prison. He's about to die. And he's like, was this wasted? Did I miss this? I saw the spirit descend on him when I baptized him, but I'm in prison. I'm about to be killed. I need a Messiah. I need a Savior. Matthew eleven two. 2. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by the disciples and said to him, are you the one who's to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered him, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to him. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus tells John two things. First, yeah, I'm the fulfillment of Isaiah the prophet. I'm the Messiah. And he quotes Isaiah. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame men leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Isaiah 29, 18. In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind will exult in the Holy One of Israel. So John is told, yes, I'm the Messiah. But it's the second thing that Jesus tells John that pierces John's heart. John's asking in this question, are you going to save me? Are you the Messiah? I'm in jail. They want my head. Are you going to save me? Matthew eleven six. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus is telling John the Baptist, yes, I'm the one. No, your life wasn't wasted. But it's God's mission for you to die. Don't fall away from your faith in me. Hold strong because death is coming. Jesus tells his disciples right after that how great John is. He makes such an important point here because what he says is he says, look, he's going to die. And you're going to look at that from your perspective and say, how could God allow that or how could that happen? And John's like, Jesus says, it's his plan. It's God's plan for the world. Truly, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there's arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who's least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus says, look, you, again, quit looking at your circumstances and look at the big picture. John and his disciples saw the wonder in Jesus. He did things only God could do. He did things that were beyond the world. They weren't natural, they were supernatural. It's his wonder that forces us to a decision. He came to earth claimed to be God and he backed it up most people can't deny it they can't get over it so they try to get around it Jesus brought the wonder of God to the world he said I'll show you the father and then he did 
This is how the Father loves. This is how we care for people. This is how we walk in faith. This is how, this is how we interact with each other. Jesus brought the wonder of God to the world in his teachings. He's the most wonderful counselor to ever breathe on earth. When people are faced with a decision about what to do with Jesus, they have to wrestle with his wonder. No one can argue that he didn't do what he did. There were too many witnesses. There were thousands of witnesses. He really did command the storm. He really did raise people from the grave. He really did give sight to the blind. He really did drive out demons. He gave ambulation to the lame and music to the ears of the deaf. He did those things. If you look in historical documents, if you look in the Bible, if you look at the times that Jesus lived, nobody debated that he did these things. He did things only God could do. They just didn't like it because he did it on the Sabbath. He could have spent his own life insurance policy. If you ever thought about that? He died and came back to Jerusalem. I would have stopped at the life insurance place. Buddha, Muhammad, L. Ron Hubbard, they never did God's stuff. They never did the supernatural over and over and over again. Jesus forces every person on this planet to deal with wonder to deal with supernatural because they can't separate him from the supernatural things. It's the wonder in him that forces us to a response. He's either God or he's not. You either have to wrestle with his wonder and admit that he only did what God could do and therefore must be God, or you've got to find a way around it. Jesus came to this world like no other human being. Regardless of what you believed about him, no one has changed human history the way he has. Why does everyone have an opinion about this man? Because he's full of wonder. He leaves us struggling to understand. His past, present, his future, they're all jam-packed with wonder. Many today deny anything that's supernatural. Let me rephrase that. Many people today deny anything of God that is supernatural. You notice that people embrace supernatural things if they're demonic. They hold seances, they visit ghost homes, they go on ghost tours, they speak to dead spirits, and some even worship Satan. But as soon as you mention the supernatural things of God, people freak out. Apparently, man can hear from dead spirits and demons, but not from the Holy Spirit. Apparently, demon spirits can whirl around a room and destroy everything, but Jesus can't calm a storm. Apparently, demons can torment someone to their death, but Jesus can't overcome death and walk us into eternal life. You see, for most people in our world, they reject any mention of Jesus because they know they're going to have to deal with his wonder. His wonder, it's an undeniable truth. It goes with Jesus like breathing does. Wise counsel, miraculous actions. They can't be separated from who he is or who he claimed to be. You can't say he was a, a great man who did some cool stuff. No, he did God's stuff. And you got to deal with it whether you believe in him or not. It's God's wonder that forces people to deny supernatural things of God. 
to try to remove anything science can't explain. Anything that could come from God. Wonder is what divides the world. Wonder is what puts families at odds. You can't seriously study him and not see God. And you can't truly see God and not fall on your face in worship. This Christmas think, season, we can think about shepherds. We can think about wise men and we can contemplate the manger. But I think God really wants us to focus on his wonder. So Isaiah tells us a child is born, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and people will call him Wonderful Counselor. People will forever look at Jesus and know that he's full of wonder. That he's a counselor who brings wonder with his truth. All those things are incredible. Almost too amazing of a gift to even comprehend. But even that's not the real question this Christmas. The most important question for us today is, is he your wonderful counselor? Christmas is a time of manic emotions. People, when faced with the birth of Jesus, have incredible highs and incredible lows. Some hearing my voice today are desperately hurting during this season. Some are in desperate need of guidance. Some need truth that only Jesus can provide. He can be your wonderful counselor. You, you have to turn to him, trust him. You'll find wonder in all that he does. You'll look back over your life and you'll say, I can't believe what Jesus has done in my life. He can be your wonderful counselor. Others know Jesus as their wonderful counselor, but we've been prioritizing other things this season. We miss the wonder of God in our lives because we aren't spending time with him. Too busy to pray, too busy to study his word, too busy to abide. Christmas can be a reminder to seek his wonder once again. Some go through Christmas without a single thought about Jesus. And incredibly, they speak of the wonder of Santa, the spirit of the season, getting into the Christmas spirit, the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future. It's amazing, really. We want so badly to experience wonder that we try to stir it up ourselves rather than accept the wonder that God's brought to the earth. We try to pretend that it exists. We settle for an imposter and we try to find it in ourselves. You see, we know that Christmas is full of wonder. There are people walking around, believers in Christ, who are like, this is the most wonderful thing, and they don't get it. So they've got to stir it up somewhere else. We substitute Santa for Jesus, the North Pole for heaven, Elves for disciples. We give gifts and receive gifts from one another rather than embracing the gift of Jesus from God. We speak of needing a Christmas miracle rather than a miracle of God. We stop to read stories of Frosty and Rudolph and Grinches. Never once pick up Matthew or Luke. If we can't accept the wonder of God in Jesus, then we have to create our own idols and we have to create our own worship with things made of human hands. Stories from human minds that worship the wonder of man in me. People, Isaiah said, will call him wonderful counselor. People will say that he's wonderful counselor. So let me ask you a question that God brought us here today to answer. 
was Isaiah prophesying about you and me? Did Isaiah appear into the future 2,800 years ahead to see us in this room here this morning in the wonder of our counselor? When he said people will call him wonderful counselor, was he thinking about you? Matthew 16, 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others, Elijah. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then I believe Jesus looks his disciples in the eye. And he asks the question for all mankind. But who do you say I am? doesn't matter what I call Jesus. doesn't matter what your friends call Jesus. doesn't matter what your family calls Jesus. It doesn't matter what social media or scientific experts or pundits call Jesus. The only thing that matters is what do you call Jesus? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And after that, I think we would add, and you are my wonderful counselor. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you sent us wonder. You said you came to earth. You told people, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, we've seen what you've done. We've seen the miracles. They're undeniable. We have no doubt that God came to earth. We're full of wonder every time we read your stories or think about you. You're supernatural. You're, you're beyond anything we comprehend. We just sit in amazement and wonder. No other man on the planet has ever done what you did. Isaiah was right. People call you wonderful counselor. So God, I don't know, there may be people listening to my voice who don't know you as their wonderful counselor. They've been seeking advice from the world. They've been trying to fix things themselves. They've been struggling with admitting that you're God because that reality brings consequences. So they'd rather deny it than surrender. So God, I pray this Christmas, the gift of Jesus will be given to many. The wonder of Jesus will be revealed to many. And God, would you help us as we go? Help us this week in the weeks after, to stop and notice your wonder. To notice your presence in our lives and to realize where we'd be without our wonderful counselor. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.